Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hi, welcome to God's Planning. My name is Father Bonaventure, and I'm joined here by Father Gregory Pine at the Thomistic Institute, but soon to be other places. Um, so, how's it going? Hey, doing well. Um, let's see. Other places, I'm uh, supposed to go on for graduate studies in Switzerland, but um, the world is, um, let's see, it's not in a position where it's promoting international travel too terribly much. Let's just leave it at that. And so Correct. as to whether I get there and when I get there remains to be seen. So, yeah. Maybe by the time people are listening to this next week, everything will be fine. Travel <laughs> will be fine and coronavirus will have just disappeared. You never know. Maybe we're, not, maybe we're not praying hard enough. Um, but just in case we're not, um, what, before you go off to Switzerland, is there anything that you want to do in America that you say, I've just got to do before I head off there mm. uh, to spend for six months, eight months, a year, not whatever it might be before you come back here. Is there anything yeah. you've said yourself for this summer? You say, I just want to hike this mountain. I want to hold this toad. I want to eat this ice cream. Is there anything? Yeah. I want to eat these hotcakes or flapjacks or pancakes, depending on what one calls them. Um, what tomorrow do I morning. Do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see. What do I want to do? Um, so by the time this episode will have come out, I'll have already done this thing. But um, I'm going out to Estes Park for like a month to help out with Focus Summer Projects, which is, um, you know, Focus Fellowship of uh, Catholic University students. They have this thing where they bring students out and they have, they actually like work at the YMCA of the Rockies. But then in the off hours, they have time for like spiritual direction, confession, adoration, mass, talks, formation of various sorts. So I'm going to go out and do that with Father Jacob Bertrand for a while. And oh, then, um, oh my gosh. God's planning firepower. Exactly. Double guns. Um, and then we have two Thomistic Institute conferences out there, one for our student leaders, and then one called Virtuous Autonomy, um, Freedom and Dependence in a Technological Age, which is like an intellectual retreat. And that one is actually open to uh, graduate students, undergraduate students, interested young professionals. So folks can uh, apply for that on ThomisticInstitute.org. So what do I want to do? Uh, well, it looks like what I want to do in America is advertise, which is a very mm. American thing to do. Mm, sell um, some swag and some God'splaining merch. <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, we don't have anything for sale. Alas and alack. We'll have to make it so that way we can drive the prices up. Um, just kidding. These stickers Seriously. here. Oh yeah, we've only got those twenty dollars a piece. <laughs> Send them Father Gregory twenty dollar bills. <laughs> hey, exactly. With no return address labels, so that way I don't have to like feel like I need to write you a thank you note again. Just Even kidding. Better. I would never. Um, what do I want to do? I want to hike out west, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. I think they're restricting entrance to 60% of the maximum parking parking spaces because of- Hope it's tough with... on those uh, buffalo. It's real tough on the bison. <laughs> they just go down hard. And that's a big piece of meat you got to move. Um, okay. So yeah, I'm looking forward to hiking out there. There's a big 14er in Rocky Mountain National Park called Long's Peak, which I hiked last summer when I did it. I, I think I might try to do it again this time. It's harrowing. You feel like you're going to die for like the middle three hours. But apart from that, very delightful. So yeah, wow. how about you? Uh, how, anything uh, left in the summer that uh, affords great delight? I'm going out to Wyoming at some point to see family and to cover in a small parish. So I, I love Wyoming. It's a great state. So if you're from Wyoming, give a shout out uh, to it right now. No, it's not a call-in show. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. It's a great place. If you've never been to Wyoming, I suggest you go. Um, it, you have beautiful plains, beautiful hiking. Uh, everyone has horses like their dogs. Um, so it's a, it's a delightful place. The people are great. So I'm looking forward to that, I suppose. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, 
so that sounds like enough of the kind of opening yeah. gambit. What matter? Um, the problem matter. So we'll start. We'll shift into the topic of today by a pop quiz. Um, mm. What vice uh, that Arist What does Aristotle think is a vice, which turns out is actually a virtue? Everyone's kind of playing. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. Wit? No. Mm -hmm. no. Maybe it's magnanimity. No, that's a big word. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's humility, right? Mm -hmm. Aristotle thinks this is a vice. Pagans are like, get out of here. Don't ever show your weaknesses. But turns out most of us believe that humility is actually a virtue. Right? Yeah. And we thought this episode, we'd share with all of you a beautiful litany, um, beautiful prayer for humility uh, that many listeners might already know. Uh, but if you don't, uh, it's something you can pray and it's something that uh, you'll, I think you'll grow to love. Although it's also, you take your life in your own hands with this sort of prayer. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, taking your life in your own hands, that's kind of the best best way to pray in many mm. ways. So um, we thought we'd share. Father Gregory has, it came up with this, the, brought this prayer topic forward. We thought we'd share this litany and just go through it um, and then talk about humility and then talk about some specific parts of it and see if it challenges each one of us and anyone listening uh, to grow grow deeper in that virtue. So just to go right into it, uh, Father Gregor and I will trade stanzas or what have mm -hmm. you of this litany if you just listen along, and uh, then we'll talk about it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being loved, Deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being culminated, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, O Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Then in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I go unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That is a powerful litany. Um, <laughs> and litanies are, when, when done with the right you know, size, you could say, or length, they are powerful ways of praying, a traditional way of praying. Um, what, what struck you about this, this litany? What's so impressive about this to you, Father Gregory? So I think, um, so I came across this, I guess it was um, much beloved of Cardinal Mary Del Val who was Secretary of State, I want to say, in the early 20th century of the, mm -hmm. of the Vatican. Um, and I think he got it from a, a small Jesuit hair, handbook or a kind of prayer book that he, he came across from maybe the 17th century. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. That's just kind of like the lore. Um, but the prayer itself is, um, it's like a strong wine. It's very heady in the sense that uh, it's powerful, 
but it's also kind of confounding because some of the invocations uh, seem very immediately appealing. They seem very immediately desirable. And then others are things that you recognize that you might need, but probably don't desire too terribly much. And then others seem uh, repugnant or repulsive. And so it's a kind of um, educative prayer or like pedagogical prayer in that it starts you with things which, um, yeah, which you would be accustomed to ask for in the ordinary course. And then it moves you towards these bolder, richer, uh, more mysterious invocations, which can be really challenging and um, seem to you know, run counter to our sensibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful in this, that threefold sense of the first, it's uh, removing desi- certain desires, which we're okay with, and then it's removing fears. And interestingly enough, those fears are something that we don't want to give up on as we talk about at some point. But then it shifts finally to like the others. So it's like love of self, love of, love of neighbor. And the neighbor ones are, I think, in some ways, the most challenging ones. Once, yeah. So once you get through it yourself, then it really ramps up. I suppose it's, it's probably worth, I mean, everyone has a basic idea of what humility is, I guess. But we're, we're talking, it's asking for a more robust sense. This isn't just like not putting your name on certain things or something. What is the, what is the, what's humility about? Like what is as a virtue, as a power of the soul, as a something that we could, that you can really aim for in a way that you can aim for being excellent at other particular tasks or even being excellent in life in general? Yeah. Um, so obviously there are a variety of ways in which, uh, one could describe humility. Um, that's not to say that one is necessarily better than the other. There's a, a nice one that comes from St. Thomas Aquinas. It's pretty simple and straightforward. Shocking. Yeah, I know. Right. Game changer. You didn't see that coming. Um, Henry so, of Gantz will be next. Exactly right. Yeah. Followed by that of Giles of Rome. Yeah. Um, so he talks about it as a kind of temperance with regard to honors. So it's easy. It's almost easiest to define it by contrast to the vice that it works mm-hmm. to, um, heal which is pride. So when we're prideful, we, um, we think ourselves worthy of honors, which in truth, in fact, we're not, right? So we're, we're constantly grasping. Uh, we're constantly seeking things that uh, go beyond our power or maybe just entirely beyond our state. So humility is a form of kind of uh, temperance of the heart. And um, it's a kind of modesty, really. So you, you have a, a sense for who you are and what your talents are. And you have a sense for how far one ought to kind of set out in pursuit of those things. And it doesn't mean that you're, you know, you shy away from difficult things um, because it works hand in hand with magnanimity, which is this Mm -hmm. kind of great soulness whereby you endeavor great things worthy of great honors because they are great. But ultimately, uh, humility works in, in conveying to you a sense of your own unworthiness. The humble person says, you know, what do I have that I have not received? If therefore I have received it, why do I boast as if it were my own? So you recognize that's pretty good. I wonder where that's from. Yeah, I know. I mean, one, one might say that if you were inspired by the Holy spirit to write the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Um, so, uh, it recognizes this distance between the created, you know, individual and then God with, Mm. with the sense that like, okay, everything that is good comes from the father of lights and everything that is bad, you know, comes from me. I think it's the second council of arms that says the only things to which we can lay claim by right are sin and Mm. false. That's tough. Yeah. That was a (laughs) tough council. Yeah. Stuff wrote a hoe. So humility. Although they were, to be honest, they were opposing even worse. So uh, yeah, that's that, that's that's actually the, the optimistic note in the council. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So humility just conveys the sense of unworthiness, and it places one before the recognition uh, of God's all sufficiency and one's own deficiency. But not so as to like wallow and say like, "Oh, woe is me." But to say like, "Oh, these are things that I've been given. I should recognize them as given, and then use them as such." Yeah. Let's. I mean, let's. Because initially. It, I guess it comes in this kind of 
Scylla and Charybdis thing where at first you're the humility and we're not, not worthy and you think, oh gosh, this is a bit of self, you know, self-hate and guilt and all this and uh, thing. And then you say, oh, well, it's, you know, but it's, it's balanced and this sort of thing. And you go, oh, on the other side, you think, oh, well, actually, then humility isn't a, you know, it's not a big deal. It's, it just means I'm not supposed to like trumpet stuff. So that I think the dangers with any virtue is, is like thinking it's one or the other extreme. But uh, let's, could you explain a little more about how you drill down and actually live out in that those two between those two extremes so have humility actually like matter in your interactions with other goods and other things mm-hmm. um but also the the positive values of it as well maybe you could just detail a little bit before we get into the looking at some of the specifics of what the humility here is entailed by this litany. so it's a mean between two things so on the one hand one could reach beyond uh what he can or ought you know so like you could have a false sense of your own excellence and you could um, you know, as a result of which act pridefully and foolishly, or you could have uh, an insufficient understanding of your own excellence or an insufficient understanding of the God from whom that excellence comes. And then up being kind of like, I don't know, uh, wimpy about the whole thing. So I think a, a good way to zero in on what precisely is the genius of humility is to think about one of the sins that's opposed actually to magnanimity. Um, so humility and magnanimity are often held together. Both of them are in the, um, harassable power you know they're in this kind of spirited part of our appetites so they help us kind of spur us on to difficult things but bridle us lest we go crazy or maniacally um so one of the sins that is actually opposed to magnanimity it's called ambition and basically one is ambitious when um he does one of three things um either you you set out for something that you know doesn't belong to you right it's not it's not true of you uh or uh you may have uh, an adequate recognition of your gifts and, um, you know, like a healthy sense of your pursuits, but you don't refer those pursuits to God, or you might not refer the, the goods that you gain by those pursuits to other human beings. So basically you can either be deceived about your own excellence or what you're capable of, or you can fail to refer things to God or fail to refer things to others. So the humble person has a, has a sober appreciation for who he is and what he is worthy of or what he is entitled to. And he sets about it with a kind of um, spirited, uh, I don't know what you would call it exactly, but like um, a, a truthful recognition of the thing for which he's made. But then he ultimately sees them as from God and for neighbor. Not to say mm. that like they're not for you because they are for you in a sense, but they're to be referred to God and neighbor in the sense of they're, they're, they're to be given in love because the think, purpose of any gift is to be referred to in love. Yeah, I think that's so, the, the way you describe it as, as like an action and virtues are actions that we do, whether they're, you know, uh, habits of, of the soul that we enact. And humility, we think of in terms of just being totally passive, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's easy to think of humility as just someone who just takes it and that kind of thing. But I like how you refer to it as it's, it's something you, you act with. So you can be humble, not a sense of like being humbled, like receiving it, but it's something that you, know, you do by, by grasping, again, the right relation between, between the gifts, between what God's given you, what you have and all this. But you can actually like lean into that in a way, as opposed to like waiting to be humbled as we normally conceive it. So I like, I like humility as, as a, a real character of the soul that we can aspire to and, and cultivate as an activity and not just something we receive. Um, I want to get into the, to the prayer itself because there's just so many amazing things in there. But before we do that, we want to take a little a short break here to uh, hear from our sponsors.
This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. We're back. That's right. No one's sponsoring us. So, um, <laughs> but there was a message there. In any case, we're talking about the litany of humility and talking about humility as a virtue and something that is crucially crucial to Christian life, of course, not only because the scripture talks about it, but because it sets us in a right relationship with God and neighbor and those two great commandments. Um, and we read this, this litany of humility, and maybe you've pulled this up and you can look it up. Uh, it's easy to find the litany of humility. And it goes through and asks us to remove certain desires, then to remove certain fears, and then to, to wish uh, things for others there. So I thought it'd be good since this is getting a little bit, we can't do all of them, of course, but what are the, what are the most challenging or the most interesting, would you say the ones for you? I have my own that are interesting, but like, what, what do you think, Father Gregory? What, what stuck out to you that you think, Oh, okay. That's a really, that's a really good one. I like that. I think it starts and it ends uh, with the most bracing notes. Um, mm. So to be, to ask to be delivered from the desire to be loved, which mm-hmm. seems like such a basic component of human flourishing. And at the end um, to ask that others be loved, excuse me, that others become holier than I provided that I become as holy as I should is also mm. kind of crazy because it seems to run counter to our sensibility that we ought to be as holy as we can. Um, and we shouldn't be concerned with, how holy others are. We should be concerned about becoming as holy as we ought. We have this kind of like um, almost competitive spirit about it, which can be, you know, which can be great to be encouraged, but it seems like you're giving up the game if you wish that others become holier than you, as if you've despaired of your own progress. So I think it starts and it ends in very, very challenging ways, but, but all along the course of the entirety of it, obviously there's, <laughs> there's things to be meditated upon. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think the competitiveness is right, especially for American context. I don't know if this is true in England, um, my experience is, is it not. Um, but uh, for Americans, which we just compete with everything. I mean, how fast you eat your cereal, what you, you know, how fast you drink water, this kind of thing. Like, there's always a competition to be had um, in America in, in any circumstance. And even in the spiritual life, I think you can get this, which is, there's a good sense of competition, of course. But I think the, when it becomes dangerous is when it becomes thought of as a zero sum game, mm-hmm. you know, like you win, I lose, or I lose, you win. And holiness has never struck me as a zero-sum game because, of course, it's given by the grace of God. So there's always more to be given. So mm-hmm. it need not be that just because Father Gregory is just stomping in the prayer room and he's rocking out, and I'm not, that he's taking away something that I could have, that, I, he, that he's using instead of me. It's a matter of coming to, again, as, as holy as you ought, provided that holy as you should. So it's not a competition that way. And yet, it's just true in life of holiness, like any other seems in life, that there will be certain people who will be holier than you, even if you try like hardest. And again, holiness is a gift from God. It's by God we cooperate, of course, but it's a gift of grace. And he desires certain people to be closer in that way or something, um, which is bracing to me. That's striking to me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you... When you think about when you think about God, you think everyone kind of gets the same trophy at the end, this sort of thing. But the lives of the saints don't seem to indicate exactly that, and in some ways, through no fault of our own. Yeah, no, I think I mean just to kind of go right to the hardest hitting, or um, for many of us, the most challenging of of aspects that this particular prayer brings up. Like what you said, we refer to it as the mystery of predilection, that God loves people differently. You hear it put some ways: God loves some people more than others. 
So in, um, in the Summa, St. Thomas asks the question whether or not God loves some people more than others. And he says, in one sense, no. And, and in one sense, yes. No, because God loves all by the self-same act of love. So God just is love. And he loves us all by the self-same act. And there's no shadow of division in God. So there's no like kind of parsing out of different love acts. So God is loving us each by that act. And as a result of which we are all equally loved. But he says, we have to recognize the fact that God gives some people more gifts than he gives others. So you think about like, the incarnate Lord, for instance, it's a grace that his human nature is wed to his divine nature. And that's a grace that is not afforded to anyone else. Um, the Blessed Mother, she's given the grace of divine maternity. Again, not a grace given to anyone else. Those gifts are, are objectively higher than any gifts that are to be given or have been given to any of us. Um, and on the one hand, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, well, bummer. But on the other hand, it's not because those gifts are also for us. Those gifts are, are infinitely fruitful. Um, the Lord deploys that gift for the salvation of the world. The Blessed Mother deploys that gift um, by a kind of, you know, um, ecclesial maternity from which we ourselves benefit. And they're not things to be compared amongst, as if to say, like, I am less because I wasn't given the grace of the Immaculate Conception. Um, and so I think, you know, we don't, we don't need to get hung up on the language that God loves some people more than others. We can just think about it as that God loves each of us differently. Um, and I think if you ask any mother or father, you know, do you have a favorite kid? Some of them will say like, yes, but don't tell anyone. But most of them will say like, no, I love them all. I love them all the same, but differently. So there's, there's a sense in which God can love us all the same, but in distinct fashion. And when we pray that last prayer, that others become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should, we're mm -hmm. effectively saying like, Lord, I want to become as holy as you want me to be in the way that you want to me, me to be. So that I'm not like thinking or musing upon other graces that you could have given me and I may wish you have given you to have given me that, that I can see in my brothers and sisters, which I esteem very highly, but recognize myself to lack. Rather, it's a matter of acknowledging what the Lord is actually doing and um, consenting to and cooperating with that so that you can, you know, stop making for yourself holiness, a plan of, you know, self-improvement, but rather a genuine response to the Lord's initiation. Yeah. And I think that that last prayer that, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become, become as holy as I should, like when you just talk about um, Jesus Christ and the Blessed Virgin Mary as the others there, like, Lord, that, you know, God, that, that Jesus and Mary become holier than I, provide that I become holier. It sounds like, oh, well, I mean, I don't mind that Mary and Jesus are like holier than I am and will always be holier than I am. Like that just makes sense, right? But then you say like St. Joseph, and you're like, yeah, of course. And you're like, what about a lot of people around you? And you're like, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Let's just have Jesus, Mary, Joseph, other saints, and then everyone else kind of like at the same level. But that's, again, I mean, that's, that's the ambition or the pride, you could say it could be in there, uh, that I get to decide, like, how God loves me, you know. Um, and part of that first, the very first, right, uh, prayer there about, early on, about des desire of being loved. Like, the, I think these go, the kind of bookends of it, the, um, deliver me from this desire of being loved. In some ways, I think, like, the desire of being loved in the selfish sense of like, I determine how much I need. Mm. Right. I need, and that's as opposed to humility saying, I'll d free me from the desire of being loved more than, than, than I need or what I, in the way I, I need. It's a dependence. It strikes me. Humility goes hand in hand with the dependence upon God actually acting in one's life. So it's not just like a prayer thing, but when you think about your day and, and the interactions you have and humiliations you receive and the experiences you have, these are the actions of God through other people as well that you are to be attentive to that are supposed to make you humble. And, and, and 
allow you to act humbly in that way. Yeah. And I think that um, one of the key things too, with that invocation, um, you know, from the desire to be loved, mm. deliver me, O oh Jesus, is a recognition that um, a lot of us do not want to be loved as we are loved by God. We want to be loved otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, like that kind of goes back into the point about becoming as holy as we ought or as holy as we should. Um, but I think that a lot of us want to be loved because we are good, right? You often hear this um, comparison made between the way that we love and the way that God loves. So we love a thing because it's good, whereas God loves because he is good. Mm-hmm. So God doesn't like look out on creation and see many lovable things and then respond to them by an act of love. Rather, his love goes before us, right? It's generative. It's creative. And um, we have to be able to acknowledge that like God loves us because he's good, right? God's not responding to any, you know, foreseen merits on our part. He's not saying like, wow, you really took that grace and ran with it. I am so, so pleased with you. You know, like he's making us to take that grace and to run with it. He's making that grace to be fruitful in our lives. And so we need to recognize, I mean, like we have to be reconciled to the fact that God loves us, um, you know, on the one hand, unconditionally, which is a, which is a comfort, but also like, um, you know, we're not going to impress him, right? We're not going to uh, wrest from him a greater affection provided that we perform adequately in this, that, or the other way. Um, yeah, I think that like, yeah, we just we just need to be able to say God loves me and that's enough mm. uh, rather than constantly, again, grasping and struggling to earn it as if it were not coming otherwise. Yeah. Right? Because that makes us kind of ax wielding and me thinks he hath a lean and hungry look to him, you know, so... We do. Um, and uh, so, okay, that, I think that, that's great. And we talked about the first stanza of the desires, removing those. And then the, the last one talked about like the others and thinking about others. But protect, perhaps during COVID tide, if it's still existing at this time and you're listening to this, um, you know, during this time, anxiety and fear is something that uh, is everyone's thinking about. And maybe people are feeling more fearful than they have, not in the sense of like, oh no, but maybe in the sense of, oh no, um, but just anxiety about things that you're out of control. And I love these middle, the middle ones here about from the, free me from the fear of being, and then it has something. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest part is, of course, like the things that are after that are bad, that are things that you would naturally want to fear, right? Free yeah. me from the fear of being humiliated. Wait, so that means that I shouldn't be afraid to be human. Okay, free me from the fear of being wronged. Wait, does that mean I'm asking to be wronged? Free me from the fear <laughs> of being forgotten. Wait, does that mean I'm supposed? So what? What? What's your? I mean, what's the? So those are one just powerful reflections on like how much I fear those things and why yeah. do I fear being forgotten or humiliated or despised? Like why? What's wronged or suspected? You know, what is that? But what is it? What, what about those after you move from the nice reflection of those and our own sense? What do you, what's the positive? What, what do you move forward with, I guess, with those petitions? Yeah, I think that um, it, it just spells out for us a healthy sense of detachment. I think a lot of us attribute a lot of important of, of importance to the esteem of other human beings, right? Uh, we find it very discomforting to um, discover that somebody else doesn't like us or that somebody else has spoken ill of us. If you walk into a room and people immediately get quiet and look at you and then are uncomfortable, you're like, yikes, they were just talking about me and they found reason to talk about me. Therefore, I'm not that good of a person and I should retreat and cry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's just, it's just difficult. Describes to, Saturday nights. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. Party on. Yeah. Um, it's just a difficult recognition to make that you are not, um, everyone doesn't think about you as, um, as highly as your mother may. And we, we feel like this kind of clamorous need to justify ourselves in the eyes of other people. Um, I think here of a story of a Dominican St. Peter of Verona, 
who um, was the first kind of like basically the first Dominican martyr, although there was a group of martyrs that were killed before him, but whatever. Um, there's a story told that uh, when he was, you know, a young man, young in religion, that he had a vision of an angel in his cell and the angel spoke to him and had a, um, a kind of female sounding voice. And one of the brothers walked past and accused him of having consorted with a loose woman. And as a result of which, you know, he was strictly disciplined and penanced and um, he was convicted that he ought not justify himself because what are you going to tell your superior? It was an angel appearing to me like, yeah, like that's going to be believed. And mm -hmm. so he, he suffered great anguish at this, having been falsely accused, having been wronged in this way. And um, at one point he was pleading before the crucifix and he said, Lord, what have I done to deserve this? And which is always a dangerous thing to ask the Lord, mm -hmm. to which Jesus is said to have responded, Peter, what have I done to deserve this? Mm -hmm. so, so for us, the point of Christian life isn't to like be justified before men or to cultivate universal esteem. We're not running for office. You know, it just doesn't matter that much. Rather, it's to be conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who mm. is despised and rejected among men, um, who is counted as one not comely in appearance, right? And by whose stripes we were healed. So if we are to be, you know, conformed to him, assimilated to him, then we need to be content to be falsely accused and not like thrown for a loop when it happens, right? Because that often represents a, an, an attachment um, to the esteem mm. of others, to the uh, praise of others, to the affection of others, which can be unhealthy and can, can at times lead us away from the Lord. Yeah. And I mean, this isn't the sense of like, uh, this would be the wrong way to go about this. It's to say like, okay, now you need to sneak around the house and sneak around places so that people might accuse you of things like, you know, <clears throat> make like speak in your room with a girl's voice or something. And then people are like, Hey, <laughs> no, no, but, but let that, that you trust in God's providence that these things happen, uh, that they may happen to you. And when they do, how you receive them, and how you attach yourself to them and whose opinion you value. I remember the story of a, a Dominican who's a little bit closer to time, but maybe just a saintly. Um, is a, a father Romano Cesario, who was a, uh, a Dominican <laughs> Dominican professor, beloved by by us. And uh, I remember he was he was in some controversy with something. I was talking to him, and I said, well, you know, you know, I'm, I was encouraging him, and I thought to myself, well, who does he care about? What my opinion is, Father Romano Cesario. And then he said, Bonaventure, the only when you get to my age, the only man's opinion you care about is God's. And I thought that was fantastic. Like, he just didn't care what other people really, you know, kind of were, were conniving about or com competing about or something. That it was, he, he didn't just say those words, he meant those words. And it's always struck me when he said that, that when will I be able to say that honestly in the same way? And that's what those, that middle group, the fear of being humiliated, despised, a sense of, of allowing yourself the freedom, the true freedom uh, mm -hmm. to embrace the sufferings and the injustices uh, and so find a peace with that if they come not seeking them out unless you feel and you're called to in some special way I suppose by God um, to receive them in that spirit and the litany really helps I think with that yeah no I think that um, there's a sense in which uh, it's it's a way forward it's a way through insecurity uh, because ultimately we want to be secure in the Lord which is just another name for having cultivated interior peace we don't want to be um, just kind of confounded when sin or temptation or when false accusation or when uh, scorn, contempt, humiliation arise, uh, because ultimately we should be rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in the Lord, such that whatever comes, uh, we'll be able to bear it uh, with equanimity of spirit because we're confident that the Lord has permitted it to befall. He won't let us be tried beyond our strength, and he wouldn't have you know, he wouldn't have let it happen had it not been somehow for our good 
provided that we could acknowledge how he is operative therein. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, like you even think about instances of sin where you do something and you regret it deeply. Uh, the whole kind of uh, genius of penitence is that you look back on the past and you don't wish it undone, right? You don't, you don't like kind of look at it with a spirit of regret. You do so with an attempt to acknowledge how the Lord is operative even there. Because uh, he wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't have permitted this thing to befall unless he had some saving plan, some saving design whereby to draw you more closely to himself. So yeah, cultivating interior peace mm. and being freed from these fears and attachments is a way by which ultimately to to cling more closely to him. Well, I think that's that's good for God's plan this week. Um, we hope that you will grow in hum- in humility without hopefully being humiliated too much. Um, it can be achieved without humiliation, but I think the Lord, some way that's the fastest way. It's like the best way to learn something is to be uh, shown that you've done something wrong. I think you never forget that humiliations do teach humility. Um, but hopefully you'll start people will be, you'll be uh, well helped by this prayer, this litany that you can look up and just reflect on even in most general terms about accepting humiliations and your moving your pride and your ambitions in these certain ways. So um, thanks for tuning in to God's planning. If you, this was helpful for you, share it with other people, um, maybe the people who have humiliated you uh, <laughs> and so that you've helped them and sort of thing. Uh, turn the other cheek as it were. And um, look up any other resources on this. Uh, feel free to check in the Thomistic Institute and other things that are going on there as well. We hope everyone's do, doing well as it is in the COVID during this time, not too fearful and anxious, and know of our prayers, especially for you during this time. And have a great week. Thanks for listening to God's Planet a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.